0: Echo has completed 100,000 sustainability assessments of global supply chains. What has it learned and how are companies doing? Hi, everybody, I'm Bob Bowman, editor in chief of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. EcoVadis, a platform for monitoring sustainability and human rights performance in global procurement, began its work in 2008. A hundred thousand assessments later, it's in a good position to judge how good a job companies are doing in adhering to policies that stress environmental protection, labor and human rights, and business ethics. Today, we'll get a detailed look at the record to date with my guest Sylvain Guillotin, senior vice president of research with EcoVadis. We'll learn about the progress that's been made since the rating system was launched, which industries, regions, and companies are the best performers, the areas on which they're focusing, and where they still need work. Judging from the scores of even industry leaders, there's still plenty of room for improvement. So here is my conversation with Sylvain Guillotin. Sylvain Guillotin, welcome to the show. Thank you. 100,000 sustainability assessments conducted by Echovatis since 2008. Congratulations on reaching that mark.
1: Thank you very much. We're happy.
0: Sylvain, what constitutes an assessment exactly? What goes into a, an assessment by EcoVadis? An
1: assessment of Ecovadis is to look at how we think the work practices of the company are sustainable when it comes to environment, human rights, and ethics. We collect lots of data from the company itself, but also from its uh, stakeholders, trade unions, NGOs, auditors, and we try to form a 360 kind of scorecard on whether they are a good citizen company, whether they have good environmental practices, uh, good work conditions and what they're doing to actually improve it over time.
0: So what are the inputs? What, what are you drawing on for your data?
1: There are three types of input. First of all, of course, we look at the management system of the company, what are the policies they have put in place, uh, whether they have targets, whether they have mission statement, charter, we look at the actions that they put in place to meet their targets. Whether this is special equipment, training, procedures, internal audit, uh, all kind of things that they could have implemented in the company to to meet their policies. Uh, we look also at the at the results, at the key performance indicators like water consumption, energy consumption, things like that. That's coming from the company itself. We look. We also collect data from 3,000. 500 qualified stakeholder sources, which are NGOs, trade unions, local authorities, organizations that have information on the company that we're looking at. And then the third type of input are the audits, the labels, the certificates that the company may have received with regards to their environmental or ethical or working condition or human rights practices, so received by uh, third-party professionals. And then we also value and credit those information. So we channel all those data into the, through our methodology and then we produce one single scorecard.
0: And in the 11 years that you've been doing this, have you altered or tweaked the model in any way or has it been the same from the very beginning, the way you do this?
1: The main principles are the same. So we have a reference model with 21 starting criteria like energy consumption, water consumption, biodiversity, health and safety of employees, training, social dialogue, diversity. Subjects like that they haven't changed, but the way we assess those topics has changed almost on a daily basis. The principles, the framework is the same, so it's it's still like a Toyota Prius, but the engine inside has improved almost on a daily basis. Of course, the way a company mitigates their environmental impact, or the way they reduce employee accidents, for instance, or the way they reduce or avoid environmental violations, have improved quite a lot. So we have to adapt The assessment and the rating to those best practices.
0: All right, so in that time, I'm interested in hearing who have been the best performers by industry, by region, and by size of company. Where have the best performers been?
1: Europe has been always ahead, European companies, because there's a rich regulatory framework that has. pushed companies to do uh, more on environmental and human rights subjects. So they are still ahead of other regions. North America is catching up. They were not really, uh, the companies in North America and the U.S. in particular, were not really focused on sustainability Practices up to maybe five years ago, but now they are really getting their focus on it. So they are catching up and they have always been strong also on the ethical part, which is anti-corruption, which is, by the way, a weakness of the European companies. So region overall can be ahead of other regions, but you also have to look at topic by topic. And again, North America is strong on anti-corruption, whereas Europe is stronger on environment and, and human rights. And then you have Asia, Latin America, who are still low in maturity and are behind.
0: And what about by industry? Where have been the strongest performers in industry?
1: So I think what is interesting to see is that the industries that are ahead today in terms of scores and performance are the ones that, in fact, have high impact and have been pressurized by stakeholders and civil society early on. So, for instance, we have the chemical sector, or high-impact manufacturers, heavy uh, manufacturing they are confronted to uh, quite a lot of challenges environmentally speaking and socially speaking they are in every countries now they are confronted to quite a bit of regulations and so earlier than other industries they have put in place management systems internal due diligence they have tried to then certification from outside parties there are quite a bit of disparities across regions and sectors industry sectors, and I would say that again, the ones that are high impact might be surprising, but high impact because they are confronted with a lot of challenges, they are a bit more ahead than other industry sectors
0: and can you generalize by company size
1: so when we look at the scores, by the way, all our scores are from zero to one hundred the average the overall average is forty two so which is quite Average, So still in the risk zone. Of course, this is an average. It's hiding a lot of disparities. There are about 40% of companies that are in the acceptable zone, meaning they have put in place necessary practices to confront the issues. We have 60% in the risk zone. So there's still a lot of room for improvement, first of all. When it comes to size, when we look at the scores, we see approximately the same average and the same repartition between risk zone and non-risk zone for large company and small and medium size. So it's also a bit surprising that in fact, the large company and the small ones have both their pros and cons. The large company, they have more resources to implement policies and reporting, but it takes more time for them to deploy their actions throughout their entire scope, whereas the small ones, they tend to formalize less policies or they have less resources to do some kind of reporting, but they are quicker are implementing concrete actions, and so they get more points here. All in all, their scores are comparable, but of course they are not confronted to the same kind of issues.
0: Well, an average score of 42 out of 100 indicates that there's a lot of work still to be done. And sustainability, as you indicate, consists of a number of different categories. So what are the categories of sustainability that companies are prioritizing and which categories need work.
1: We have four main categories in our rating. We have environment, we have human rights and working conditions, we have ethics, meaning uh, anti-corruption, and then we have sustainable procurement. So uh, looking at your own partners and suppliers to see whether they are sustainable themselves. Early on, the focus was very much on environment because of regulations, because of also the we were talking about climate change a lot in the media. What we have seen in the past two or three years is that Companies are continuing their efforts on environment, but they are also now putting a lot of focus on human rights and subjects like diversity, anti-discrimination, anti anti harassment I think the Me Too movement has somehow got into the business world as well. And so we see a lot of companies implementing programs to avoid getting into, into those kind of issues. And the least subject that is really looked at today is sustainable procurement. So companies are already trying to implement sustainable practices within their own operation and premises. But when it comes to looking at their supply chain or their suppliers upstream, they are still beyond. And so that's, for me, that's the next stage is to really go upstream in supply chains, because that's where you find the biggest uh, negative impact.
0: And when you say upstream, of course, you're referring to multiple tiers of suppliers, not just the first one up there. So I would imagine that that would be an area that's particularly challenging going up to tier two, three, four, five, or wherever.
1: You're exactly right. So today we have about 60,000 companies on the platform and they are mostly tier one or tier two suppliers. And the goal is really to go upstream in those supply chain and Maybe you can estimate that there are about 2 to 5 million companies in those supply chains. We're only at 60,000, so we are at the beginning of the journey. And again, the more upstream you go, the more are the negative impacts. So if you really want to have a positive impact uh, ourselves, you need to go upstream. And the way we're doing that is by developing some interesting technical features. On the platform, we want to allow the chair one and tier two suppliers to uh, assess their own suppliers and then to give them also the opportunity to assess their own suppliers and so on and so forth. So you can imagine a platform where y- it will look like a bit LinkedIn, where you can connect to other people through uh, your direct connections. And uh, but instead of being people, it will be companies. And the idea is to trigger a network effect so that we can quickly touch high number of companies and then you will be able to visualize your entire supply chain and then you will be, you will be able to see where are the hotspots and where you can bring improvement.
0: As you know, there's been a lot of attention paid in recent years to areas such as conflict minerals, also to the use of child labor in cotton fields and the like, and I'm wondering the extent to which companies have managed to trace their supply chains from a sustainable and ethical standpoint all the way back to the farm, all the way back to the mine, to the very beginning of their supply chains. Are they having any luck in doing that, any success?
1: Yes and no. There's a lot of initiatives to do that. There's a lot of sector initiatives, like in cotton, in rubber, in lime oil, for instance, where very often the production is concentrated. So the sector initiatives are able to identify one particular region and to go there and work directly with the farmers for instance. And then there are interesting programs to help those farmers build some capacity and improve work practices. But those successful initiatives are, are still not enough. There are still a lot of industry sectors where a lot of corners of the associations are still not investigated or worked on. When it comes to conflict minerals, it was not looked at Through a coalition of NGOs or sector initiatives, it was through a regulation. I have the impression that this regulation has not really met its objective, which was to solve conflict issues around RBC, Republic Democratic of Congo. It has generated a lot of burden on the buying side uh, to trade, but we can question whether the situation is actually improving in RBC. So... I'm not sure regulation when it comes to tr- full traceability is really a good direction. I've seen much more positive results with industry, big companies getting together and to work on one specific issue in one specific region of the world together with local population, local NGOs, local authorities, and then trying to have concrete impact.
0: In the years that Ecovadis has been doing its ratings, have you noted an increase in awareness by the general public of sustainability issues to the point where a low score issued by Ecovadis might actually hurt a company's brand reputation or its sales? Have we got to that point where the public is sufficiently aware to make that a, an actual factor?
1: Yes, definitely. Now, Those subjects are, in fact, if you look at the business roundtable statement of this summer, so 180 U.S. CEOs have declared that their companies must look and uh, mitigate impact on their stakeholders and develop sustainable practices. So that's a very strong signal. But even before that statement, all the clients we work with have integrated into their process the ECOVID score. And if you have a low score, you might be delayed in signing a contract or you might not be selected for a new contract. This has already direct business implications. Again, you could be trying to sign or to be referenced by a big client. You have to go through a process. Let's say your score is below uh, 30 out of 100. The client is going to ask you to improve and maybe you're going to be signing your contract is going to be delayed by three months. Now, if you look at three months of turnover, over, uh, maybe uh, if you do 10 million with these clients over the year, that represents uh, quite a significant amount of budget. So, yes, it has direct impact. It's now a must. All companies must look at those subjects, and I don't think we're going to go back.
0: And as you look to the future, do you contemplate any changes in the way you measure or any changes at all to the manner in which these assessments are conducted?
1: Yes, so I think we're going to put... A much stronger focus on key performance indicators because today we're mostly looking at what are the policies and the objectives and the actions put in place by the company, but we look less at what are the actual results. Are the water consumptions going down? Are the CO2 emissions going down? Are the accidents going down? We have some data on that, but companies are not really yet really mature to provide good and meaningful data. So that's the next frontier is to collect more key performance indicators and to base those scorecards more on the management actions from the companies.
0: Well, again, there seems to be plenty of progress yet to be made, although it's very important the work that Ecovadis has done up to this point in publicizing how companies are addressing the large issue of supply chain sustainability. So, Sylvan Guillotin, I want to thank you so much for bringing us up to date on your program and what you've learned about supply chain sustainability and how you might be addressing the issue in the future. Thank you very much for being with us today.
1: Thank you, Bob. This was a pleasure.
0: That was my conversation with Sylvain Guilloton of Echo Vadis, talking about how well companies are doing in achieving sustainability in global procurement. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter, at scbrain.